Bonya Namo is Nagauna. Yeah, why is John Darnierl talking about cow's milk in Irish? That's what I want to know. Me too. I'm Richard O'Brien. It's the 27th of September at 6.27pm, and this is Now Here We Are 30 Years Later, a memoir in Mountain Goat Songs. Each episode looks at a year in my life through the lens of a song by John Darnielle. Today, we're in 1999, and the song is You're in Maya. I have bad dreams about driving. I don't know when they started, but let's say the first one was sometime before I was eligible for lessons, and the most recent, a while after I failed my fifth practical test in 2017 and let my theory results expire. In the dreams, I'm a passenger who has to become a driver, when external forces make it impossible for the person usually responsible to take the wheel. In some variants, that person is physically present, an older relative who needs to go to the hospital or some other place of urgent need, and I'm the only one on whom they can rely, even though I haven't mastered any of the skills to do the job correctly or safely, and of course they know it. In others, I'm alone, with the keys to a car I'm passively familiar with but have never had to start or steer, and the person who needs me is somewhere else, waiting for me to get in gear. These unconscious narratives have always taken place on the roads of my childhood, the snaking bee roads and corridors of trees which shape the countryside connecting South Lincolnshire, Peterborough and Rutland. Perhaps I'm in a lay-by near Shacklewell Farm, where I once went for a scout camp and got in trouble for trying to pay in the gift shop with greenish, oxidised coins my fellow campers and I had clearly fished up out of a wishing well. I'm around the corner from Tolthorpe Hall, where I used to perform in open-air Shakespeare productions as a teenager, wrestling with the handbrake, looking over my shoulder in panic as I pull shakily away from the curb. In 1999, I was trying to learn to ride a bike for the second time, for a year six trip to a stay-away camp with a programme of activities in Kreitch, Derbyshire, one of which involved descending into a cave and the facilitator turning all the lights off. I can confirm that it was dark in there. I practised on a private track which might have been a disused railway line, using a vehicle borrowed from my head teacher whose adult children didn't need it anymore. It's possible this had something to do with the dreams, but more likely that I feared what they represented even before this. We don't need to run away with what Freud said to recognise that all of this is pretty clearly about independence and the risk it carries of skidding inexorably out of control. But what frightens me most about these experiences is one of the aspects of John Daniel's songwriting which most compels me. The man has made a career out of careering. And in the Mountain Goat's extensive corpus of references to cars and driving, recently lovingly catalogued by the website Jalopnik, I couldn't discuss this theme, so often interwoven with questions of self-definition, without mentioning Yor and Maya. A 1999 North Carolina live set, linked in the Substack newsletter, is the first recorded performance of the first of Daniel's songs which he identified to audiences as extensively autobiographical. There are caveats to make here. John has acknowledged the cloaked personal content of earlier compositions like Full Flower and Running Away With What Freud Said, and appears to have realised only in the course of a 2019 live rendition that the cruel central figure of Pseudo Thyram's song, also apparently written around 1999, who is plaintively asked, why do you try so hard to break my spirit, was an oblique representation of his violent stepfather. Your and Meyer itself, meanwhile, may well have had prior outings that slipped past the watchful eyes of internet bootleggers, a performance filmed only three days later in Indiana describes it simply as a song that's seldom been played live. But let's take the above statements at face value for a second. 
and assume that the audience at the Cat's Cradle in Carborough on the 27th of January is witnessing something new and, in its own way, remarkable. Earlier in the set, John has played a song he introduces as a live rarity. In Letter from a Motel, which is elsewhere titled as part of the Alpha series, one member of a fractious couple on the edge of divorce sends a photograph of their house so weakened and warped by heat that it is apparently tilting on its axis to their spouse. That person, who is the singer, is standing in a motel room, separated from his entire family, but nonetheless confidently insisting, in this performance in a voice so ragged with phlegm that despite its great power, it seems constantly, thrillingly, on the verge of collapse, that stability is everything. Wilson Shire writes that no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. But where do you go if home is unstable? The new song Daniel throws into the set three songs later, apparently casually, asking, why don't I just play this song called You're in Maya instead of launching into a ten-minute anecdote, offers one answer for which the recognition scene, its predecessor in the set, prepares us. You hit the open road. To later fans encountering it in the rearview mirror, You're in Maya might seem like an early sketch of the material that would become this year. The narrator of each song inhabits a broken house in the college town of Claremont, but finds some measure of solace in their easy access to the broad highways of Southern California, where your own vehicle has the crashing, kicking potential to propel you out of an ongoing nightmare and into freedom, or the nearest thing to it. Whatever's waiting on down the track, it isn't heaven. Instead, in both compositions, the singer is driving up a major transport artery, uptown or north on Mills Avenue, towards the things of this world, scotch and video games in this year, Cheap whiskey and pinball in the earlier lyric. Here we're a long way from the affirmative optimism of Bruce Springsteen, a concept invoked so often in the LA Times Rock Review column that it induced a powerfully reactionary response in the adolescent Daniel. It's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win exemplifies the giant going-for-it energy of Born to Run, a car-centric record in which every song is very certain about how it means to be, and you know how you're supposed to feel when you hear it as John told Stephen Hyden in a podcast interview. Rather than the ambiguities of feeling to which Daniel found himself more drawn on the follow-up album, Tunnel of Love, the classic up-tempo Springsteen sound foregrounds either people who are triumphing in some way, or people who, even if they're not going to triumph, are seizing the moment of their lives and wishing for more. If they're not getting what they want out of life, they're imagining a better one for themselves. Your and Maya hurtles past us at a jaunty clip, but its singer doesn't seem able to imagine much of anything. Its ultimate destination is the oblivion of consciousness and purpose. I drank till I couldn't see straight anymore, and until there was nothing to drink to. In a sense quite different to one of the archetypal rock and roll songs of the American Road, our narrator has no particular place to go. Daniel has acknowledged the influence and the extent to which it rewired his own brain. I started thinking about Chuck Berry when I was 16 one morning, and that was the end of that in lots of ways. What the teenager saw in Barry's lines, and especially his throwaway place and time setters, Saturday morning, Mills Avenue, was a force as pure and direct as Shakespeare on a good day. Though these songs almost never seem to take themselves very seriously, they arrive with the shocking force of a car skidding across a hundred feet of hot blacktop. Noting that leaving one place and going somewhere else, a subject Barry explores at length, is one of the all-time great themes his disciple feels compelled to add that this is not just because I've staked my entire musical career on examining it either, you bunch of cynics. The extent of Daniel's commitment to narratives of flight and return shouldn't, however, 
distract us from what makes this entry in the canon so distinctive. Firstly, like many of the Going To songs, but unlike this year, this is a solo voyage. In Yorin Maya, no one shows up and hangs out. Many of Daniel's songs about people in cars making bad decisions bear up his comments that, when carrying your own damage, the main thing that makes you feel better is the company of other people who are as damaged as you are, for which such people have a powerful, internal sensor. This intense connection can offer the promise of a kind of unity in chaos, becoming twin high-maintenance machines, the kind which Cry for Judas reminds us are prone to malfunction. Here, being a broken machine is akin to being, or being in, a speeding car. Speed up to the precipice and then slam on the brakes. Some people crash two or three times and then learn from their mistakes. A key song in Stephen Sondheim and Julie Stein's Gypsy indicates the hubris of so readily dismissing some people, the kind who can get a thrill knitting sweaters and sitting still, which is okay for some people who don't know they're alive. Daniel's narrators at least sometimes recognise that a life of unstoppable escalation isn't the only kind worth living, but apparently can't do anything to stop, not least as someone in this situation can easily be aided and abetted by any other member of that thrilling club, the ones who don't slow down at all, who happens to be free to take a ride. Take your foot off of the brake, for Christ's sake. The wild closing scream of Dilaudid frames the brief thrill of escape with a dynamic partner as a force strong enough to oppose the equally compelling pull towards death. As such, it's deserving of equal reverence, even if the temporary connection it promises doesn't offer any lasting support. There's nobody there to catch us when we fall. This is one of many reasons that a set of parody goats lyrics shared on Twitter by Bojack Horseman creator Raphael Bob Waxberg, whose work I otherwise love, made me irrationally angry. No one sharing a car in a mountain goat song would treat sex with the glibness necessary to frame it as getting handsy in the Hyundai. Nor is screaming into a pillow a common response to small romantic disappointments in Daniel's work. The pieces are the wrong way round. Instead, emotions of unbearable intensity function as a catalyst to throw the narrator out into the world and into the arms of whatever form of intimacy or contact might help diminish the big ugly lump forming in his throat. In the absence of any accomplice, Joran Meyer is closer in spirit to the much later Matthew 25:21, which also centres on an unaccompanied traveller going through an emotionally intense experience. And I'm an 18-wheeler headed down the interstate, and my brakes are going to give, and I won't know till it's too late. Tires screaming when I lose control, try not to hurt too many people when I roll. But Matthew, an elegy for Daniel's mother-in-law with whom he had formed a strong familial bond, was released in 2009, by which point the Mountain Goats had been recording overtly autobiographical material for five years. Joran Meyer, written ten years earlier, was a much larger leap into the unknown in terms of personal disclosure. Your own life can be tricky to approach head-on as an artist. You have to decide which details to foreground and which to cloak. You have to wonder if the people you're writing about will see it and how they might feel about you when they do. There are probably few more direct ways of beginning to write for the first time about experiencing violence at the hands of a caregiver than the opening line of Yorin Meyer. He hit me right in the face. The line immediately afterwards is framed through a careful parallelism of syntax and meter as an equal and opposite reaction to this violence. I drove the falcon uptown. The narrator's next response, hanging out in the library parking lot, Seems to be a loss of clear direction, but the buoyant melody keeps pushing us forward, as if to say, whatever else happens, now that's out of the way. Everything else in the song follows logically from the momentum of that initial escape. 
The narrator gets blasted at a college he doesn't attend until the furious but futile desire for vengeance dissipates till I didn't want to kill anyone. In the second verse, the thirst once quenched by the Hiram Walker becomes a force powerful enough to displace him further up the coast towards a small room that got even smaller a block away from the Willamette. A scenario which bears a clear resemblance to Daniel's other accounts of a blackout and the haunting period of social isolation which followed it in his Portland apartment at 253 North Broadway. The telescoping of time here is a significant element of the writer's craft. Two events, which presumably happened at least a few months apart in biographical reality, become one single narrative, as if what a therapist once euphemistically referred to as the very rich experiences of Daniel's teens and early twenties could all be condensed into one representative movement from suffering within the family unit out into the destructive independence of self-medication. Wordsworth described poetry as the result of powerful feelings recollected in tranquility, and I'm forever boring my students about the difference between an emotional experience and the literary shaping that conveys that experience. The two verses of Your and Maya have the balance and concision of a well-crafted country song, and their witty compression bears comparison to the Merle Haggard number, I think I'll just stay here and drink, with which the cat's cradle set closes. There was nowhere I needed to go, and nowhere I wanted to be, and my window looked out upon nothing, and nothing looked right back at me. I had a couple of things on my mind, a couple of problems to think through, and I drank till I couldn't see straight anymore, until there was nothing to drink to. Daniel's retelling of these personal trials stitches them together with something more communal, in the form of a sing-along quotation from a Gaelic drinking song. Despite the specific circumstances in which the narrator incorporates the phrase, its implication seems to be that the juice of the barley for me is a sentiment many through time have been able to readily relate to. Boinya namois nagana is perhaps a harder sell for those of us who don't know the language, not least as John has admitted that his own pronunciation as Gwelga is far from exact. The milk of the cow is good for the calf runs the English translation, with the heavy implication that none of us are calves here. Reaching for a language you don't personally speak is an unusual rhetorical move to make in your first attempt at publicly addressing, in your art, experiences of an intensely private character. Hearing a language which you ought to speak, which your family used to speak, but from which the effects of English colonialism and economic migration have fundamentally estranged you, in a song badged as the first autobiographical composition by an artist important to you without a direct connection to that heritage, is unusual in a different way. For Daniel, switching into Irish seems to be a way of leaving the personal behind, as his isolated narrator pulls back from the heightened intimacy of confession to invite the presence and support of a community of voices. Joran Meyer, the singer comments in another introduction, is what Harry Krishnas say to one another when they feel one of them is being too worldly. The song's title also finds Daniel reaching for deeper connection in a language far removed from his own upbringing. This brings us to another small room where horizons seem to be expanding rather than narrowing down. The New York storefront temple at 26 Second Avenue, occupied by Srila Prabhupada, founder of the modern Krishna consciousness movement, in which his early American followers found themselves transported into another dimension. The International Society for Krishna Consciousness reached California in the year of Daniel's birth, 1967, and its San Francisco headquarters swiftly became known as a welcoming place for troubled, searching, and sometimes desperate young people going through their own struggles with addiction and recovery. In the words of an Ishkon chanting primer, the materialistic mind is full of unlimited ideas for sense gratification, 
and being perpetually restless, it constantly flickers from one sense object to another. Prabhupada may not have spoken directly about the kind of thirst that carries a car up the coast, but Daniel, a practicing devotee in the late 1990s, would have understood well enough what he meant about the mind always concocting objects of happiness, taking us anywhere and everywhere, as though we are riding on a chariot behind an unbridled horse. Maya refers in part to the illusion of control we seek over this chaos. We are all trying to be lords of material nature, while actually we are under the grip of her stringent laws. The song's narrator may have reached the plane of mental speculation for the purpose of getting out of the material clutches, but Daniel's title is a wry acknowledgement that the particular acceleration he is pursuing will only bring him closer to destruction than to the deliverance promised by the Maha Mantra. Uran Maya is not, of course, the first song by a Western musician to take an implicitly Krishna-conscious approach to the problems of living in the material world. George Harrison's 1973 song of that name centres a figure who uses his body like a car, taking me both near and far, and finds himself frustrated, his senses never gratified, only swelling like a tide. Here, however, the singer directly asserts his hope to get out of this place by the Lord Sri Krishna's grace a concept that doesn't seem to have crossed the young Daniel's mind, at least as the song represents him. Yorin Maya, like Daniel's Bible-inflected work, speaks of a less-than-certain faith. A self-described devotional creeper, the singer at one time asserted that I've had this lifelong thirst to believe, but I just don't. I try. I go in as deep as I can. Nonetheless, there's a clear resonance between Harrison's own description of his purpose in writing Material World to gloss a comment by Prabhupada that we're not these physical bodies, we just happen to be in them, and the Augustinian strain of Daniel's thought, which I discussed in the previous episode. By the end of my time at St. Augustine's Catholic School, I'd taken my first communion and given my first confession, but I couldn't tell you whether or not I sincerely believed in anything. The main sins for which I remember seeking absolution were pretty small-scale, swearing and lying. I wasn't exactly an 18-wheeler, but I had started acting out of control in my own way. I nearly got banned from the school bus for calling an unfriendly driver gormless on the journey back from a day trip to a Tudor manor. I started vandalising property, my own and others, with scissors, and then blaming other people for it. I think I mostly just wanted to see what would happen if I cut things. As it turns out, everybody was upset. I'm not sure if any particular disruption was underlying these behaviours, but I can't imagine it helped being mentally split between year groups with all these placements represented in the school environment. I certainly didn't at the time know anything much about the more significant fractures in my family history, most obviously that between England and Ireland. One of the first news stories I remember watching play out live on television was the 1998 car bombing in Omar. But I suppose there wouldn't have been a productive way to tell an eight-year-old that his father's uncle had spent time in prison as an IRA courier or that his father, who joined the British Army as a teenager, had himself been sent at the height of the Troubles to serve in Belfast. None of these facts, and their implications, is visible in a picture from this year of three white English children dressed near identically in homemade helmets and white tunics, bearing the cross of St George. I'm not even sure which of the boys is me. The child in this photo, standing on the back of a carnival float covered in some sort of stone effect cladding and decked out with poorly painted heraldic shields, is one among many taking part in a performance of national and local belonging through the Georgian streets of Market Deeping, wrapped in the symbolism of history, literally draped in the flag. He's a passenger, along for the ride, 
If you sang to him in the language of his ancestors, he wouldn't understand a word of it. Here are a couple of sharp small shards of shrapnel I couldn't fit into the main episode. Another song from the same period as Joran Meyer and Pseudo Thyram song, Cow Die Blowout, turns on a forceful patriarch, the ghost of your father, who comes to town and immediately takes to knocking over furniture. Clearly it would be reductive to approach too many mountain goat songs through this lens, but there must be at least a few others amenable to such a reading. George Harrison's experiences with Harry Krishna also seem to have had an automotive cast. In one and the same interview, he describes chanting the Harry Krishna mantra non-stop all the way from France to Portugal, a journey of 23 unbroken hours, and speculates that all the workers on the Ford assembly line in Detroit chanting while bolting on the wheels might help out the auto industry, and probably there would be more decent cars too. This episode was written and produced by me, Richard O'Brien. Most of the songs featured in this week's entry can be found on the Spotify playlist at the bottom of the Substack newsletter. Thanks to John Daniel for letting me quote from his songs. The sources of all other quotes are given in the show notes. Thanks also to our Gwilga correspondent, Emma McHugh, who you heard at the top of the episode, for pronunciation tips. And thanks to you for your patience as I put this episode together. If you're an Ishkon devotee, or an Irish speaker, or both and you think I've mischaracterized anything in this episode, please do get in touch and let me know your thoughts. I'd be very glad to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at 30 underscore years underscore later, where you can get updates on new episodes and see Jeopardy clues that remind me of Mountain Goat's lyrics. You can also find me on Twitter as at NotRockyHorror. If you like the show, you can always leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to help more people discover it. Or you can always just tell your few remaining friends. This week, Richard is getting into Running on Empty by Jackson Brown.